Hello and welcome to the Stratford East podcast. Back in January this year, our artistic director, Nadia Fall, was appointed one of five Sky Ambassadors who will mentor the next generation of talent in the arts. As part of this programme, we selected two artistic associates who have joined the Stratford East team for a year-long placement. Over the next two episodes, we'll be talking to our new artistic associates, Mina Barber and Tabby Lamb, and we'll find out a bit more about them. First up in conversation with Nadia is writer and director Mina Barber, who tells us about her route into the arts, as well as what her hopes are for the theatre industry in a post-Covid world. As ever, please subscribe to the Stratford East podcast, and if you want to get in touch, then drop us an email at podcast at stratfordeast.com. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Mina Barber, um, our new artistic associate, one of two new artistic associates at Theatre Royal Stratford East. And uh, I have to declare that I know Mina a little bit because we first met um, when you were assistant director on August Wilson's King Headley II at the theatre um, a few years ago. So I know, uh, we, uh, we already know each other. So hello. <laughs> Welcome. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think the best way to do this is to just have a conversation. And, and the reason we really wanted to have this conversation is so that everybody could get to know you. And actually, yeah. some of the questions I've got up my sleeve, I'm genuinely interested. A bit of a desert island disc. So just to get to know you a bit better. So I'm going to start <laughs> off with that, that classic question of... Um, let tell us a little bit about how you got into the arts and theatre. What how did the journey begin for you? Uh yeah, so the journey started a long, long time ago. Um I uh I started off my journey as an actor. Um I won a scholarship to go to Mountview um and I did an uh postgraduate in acting. And um, it was quite a struggle because I actually, uh, I couldn't get in, I, I got into Mount View, I think it was like two years on the trot or something, um, but I just couldn't afford to go and so I applied for scholarships. And so I finally got a scholarship on like, I think it was like my second try. Um, and so that was quite tough getting into drama school. Um, so then I got into drama school, I did drama school, I left drama school, I started working as an actor and I quickly realised that actually I wanted to be more in control of the stories that were being told. Um, some of the parts that when I left drama school, they, were, they, weren't, that, they weren't that great for South Asian female actors at the time. And um, it was all a bit like shopkeeper's daughter, domestic violence victim and things like that. And that just didn't represent, yeah, it just didn't, it just didn't represent, um, it just didn't represent like the whole South Asian experience. And um, I just didn't connect with those parts. There was so much more to it. And so um, an actor friend had said to me, uh, I know you enjoy writing, so rather than um, complaining about the parts that are out there, why don't you start start writing parts? And I was like, okay, yeah. fine. Um, and so I entered a competition with half a play 
and the play was called Commercial Road and it was about a bunch of South Asian immigrants um, who did uh, who worked the night shift uh, at a petrol station. I hadn't quite finished it. I knew where I wanted to go with it, but I was on tour at the time. And um, I was really lucky to win that competition. And so I finished that play. And uh, so then, um, yes, I used to write for theatre. And then, I, to be honest with you, I had to just leave theatre and just leave the creative world because I just couldn't afford to survive. And so I just continued. I used to work um, as a welfare officer in schools. And so I think it was for like five years, I just dropped all creative things because I just couldn't afford, couldn't afford to carry on working in the industry. And um, it was just by chance that another, um, another artistic director got back in touch with me and said, what are you doing at the moment? Like, how are you not involved in the industry? And so I kind of got pulled back then. Um, and I'd always, like I said, I'd always wanted to direct. I'd always wanted to be able to like tell, to um, have that control and be able to tell that bigger story as well. And so I started directing in 2017 and I wrote and directed uh, a third year show for East 15. Um, and the, the students were amazing and school was so lovely, uh, but it was a real trial by fire because I'd never directed before so I'd been I'd been a writer in the room I'd been an actor in the room but suddenly I took like stepped into those shoes and um, I quickly realized how big those shoes are uh, and how difficult it is to be a director um, but I loved it it was a it was a brilliant experience and so yeah so that's how all of my the kind of the directing started and then I found the Young Vic and um, uh, yes, yeah, so I just applied for some assistant jobs there. And I, I think my big thing that I would say to people is if you don't get a job, always ask for feedback. Because I was, um, I've always been kind of like, oh, okay, great. I can get that. That's absolutely fine. But can you please give me some feedback about, about why? And um, yeah, so I asked for feedback and I met with the amazing Sue Ellis. And she's one of those amazing people in the industry who, like, you don't really see her on the socials, you don't see her, but she's incredible, an incredible supporter of directors. Um, and so That's I did. So funny uh, because many moons ago, because um, I'm that old, um, Sue Emma's also saw the very first show that I ever, the first night of the first show that I ever directed in the White Bear Kennington Pub Theatre. Oh my God, cool. And I was like, oh my goodness. Um, but, you know, similarly, uh, you know, she she got in touch and said she really enjoyed it and was like, um, you know, a couple of doors opened up via Sue because she really does see uh, a lot of work and does keep her ear to the ground of, of um, you know, emerging emerging artists so um yeah big up to sue it's been it's been many many years yeah, that um, yeah. that different directors she's been sort of nurturing and and um supporting over the years can yeah. i ask you a little bit about your um 
sort of first memories of theatre? Like, what what was your first childhood memories or te- well, when whenever it was that you first went to the theatre? Yeah. So so uh, so my parents are uh, basically they they my mum didn't speak English at all, uh, and my dad did speak English. Um, but was very much like, what is theatre? Because <laughs> he's a mechanic, and he was just like a working-class mechanic, and so I never went to theatre. I didn't know what theatre was, and I only clicked into theatre when I started going to school, and um, we got taken to Panto at Theatre Royal Strategies, uh, and I saw Cinderella, and I remember it because I was so short, and I don't think we had booster seats then, <laughs> and and, I, and like literally like my like you could probably see half my face just over oh. the seats if you know what I mean um but it was just an amazing experience and to to kind of watch to watch that story live uh you just can't beat that and and like I've seen the Cinderella story on tv loads of times in parties and things like that but to see it live I just yeah it was just incredible it was just incredible and and even at that point, I was just like, oh, my God, I, I love this. I want to do this. And it was funny because at school, um, I, wasn't, I wasn't a very vocal kid. But as soon as they put me on stage, it was like, and I could just kind of be another character. Um, and I found it quite hard because even, even though I was born here and I was born in Hackney, my grandmother pretty much kind of brought us up because my parents were always... Uh, working in different factories and working different shifts. And so I used to speak Gujarati a lot. And so when I got to school, even though I was born here, I found it quite difficult to speak English. And so, but I found it a lot easier to speak English when I was playing another character. Um, And I think it was something to do with that thing of TV, like I was becoming one of those characters that I'd seen on TV. Um, that's so interesting it's interesting how theatre can sometimes make quite a shy child um, have confidence and sometimes that's as you know as an actor and sometimes that's backstage but it 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 seems to attract sort of sometimes the motley crew that are sort of outside the most popular people it sort of is that kind of space that give you self-esteem when it's done in the right way it can really unlock a, a young person I feel yeah, totally totally and I and I'm so gutted at the way that you know theatre studies in schools it's just not funded very well it just feels like it's being marginalized but I know as a young person how important it was to me but having said that weirdly I wish that earlier on I'd been told you can do more than acting because I probably would have clicked a lot earlier that, oh, yeah, right, yeah, I can, I can direct or, you know, I can design or I can do whatever. And it's, it's a weird one because in schools, all kids, I don't know about private schools, I don't know about that, but I know about um, state schools, like all kids are kind of pushed into, oh, you're all, you know, you're all going to act. And that is about confidence building. But part of me does wish that some of those kids could have been shown other pathways. Oh, I think some 100%. of those, you know, that there aren't always about 
being good at singing or dancing or, or acting and, and and we're really keen about you know the technical theater aspect and the you know what we call creatives the design the lighting design the sound you know there's so many um avenues into theater and and i think it totally starts at school if you don't know those those positions uh, even exist how can you aspire towards them and it's frightening to see arts in general but um certainly theater being less and less taken out of um school life and i really hope that the government don't use the pandemic as an excuse to completely yeah. kill the arts in school so it becomes yeah just for those who can afford private lessons or private schools where they can afford to have um, you know music lessons or drama classes and I can see it going that way and it will just be a complete um, you know com it would be the complete tragedy because we all know those of us who love the arts that it's not just if you want to work in the arts it actually yeah. is such an important part of education and, uh, and and therapy for the brain and expression that you know if you if you get a bit of music and drama and art in your life you might actually be better at maths and sciences exactly exactly it's it's that kind of narrow thinking that I'm really worried about and we must pressurize against um as an industry amongst other things you know keeping our head above water as it is but i'm i am so made up that stratford east was your first panto and that then oh my god it's kind of <laughs> full circle with you coming to work with us and and um it makes me want to break into lion king uh circle of life <laughs> but i won't i won't, I won't try to do that now because we'll lose all our listeners <laughs> um so so that's your first memory but what what i mean this is a hard one but what's been your favorite if you can it's like saying what's your favorite film or album it's almost impossible but one of your favorite and most profound theater experiences can you cite one or or one and a half or two if i'm being really naughty i i can probably cite two um i would Oh no, I can, I can mm, probably actually maybe even two and a half. I would say. Oh God, um, we <laughs> try, try to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so weirdly enough, I um, I saw a production of Macbeth outside of the National a few quite a, quite a few years ago, but it was a Polish company who, and it was their uh, uh, their production of Macbeth. But there was no, they only used the odd line of the text. And because I always, like as a kid, I found Shakespeare really impenetrable. I just, I didn't get it. It just felt like a completely different language. I couldn't, I couldn't connect with it. But what this company managed to do is that they managed to connect you to the story without feeling like, you're you're trying to penetrate the text and um my god the soldiers came in on motorbikes and they had torches like lit up torches in their hands Rock and, and Shakespeare. oh my god it was so it was just it was just brilliant and um i think banquo got his head bashed in and he had a but he had a motorbike um 
he had a motorcycle helmet on uh, and it was just visceral and just incredible and Lady Macbeth was covered in blood by the end of it but you but you got the story and you really understood um really understood the story and I and that I just thought now that's how I would like to see Shakespeare where everybody gets it and it's not um it's not a kind of middle to upper class thing where you know like you got some Shakespeare performances and audiences laugh at certain jokes and you're like is it really that funny I don't think it is I think you learned it in <laughs> class and you've learned to believe you're, it you're lost funny. out of recognition yeah you understand it yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and I think that's why like with some of those classics I even now I think like do I really want to see them like you have to really make me want to see it for a particular reason and because I just I really do believe like uh, of the kind of the theatre in the now as well and about why are we here what is happening in our world right now you know what are we talking about that's and I think that's why I feel really distant from those pieces of work and not only that it's not just that it's that I believe that there's so much creative talent out there right now why are we not utilizing that why are we not connecting with those artists and so why are we constantly reviving some of these plays when clearly there are voices out there incredible voices out there um in our generation so yeah i just i don't quite get it so that was that was one um because they because they they managed to help me to understand a Shakespearean play and I would probably say the second one was at the Royal Court and I went to see the wonderful world of Dissocia and uh it was just bonkers but brilliant bonkers in the sense that uh it was it was a play about a woman with dissociative disorder um but it started off as a fairy tale that quickly got out of hand and you had like a flying car and you had walls with carpet on it and you had like uh, kind of like comical policemen and then the second half of the play it completely changes and you're in a kind of sterile hospital and the play really it just it just it blew me away in its invention but also um my mum uh had schizophrenia and so it was one of those plays where I just sat there and was like, yeah, wow, you do get it. Like, you really understand. Um, what so they managed brilliant. to translate the experience from the inside out. Yes. Somehow. Yes. yes. And, and, and I think if you're a person who's in a family with somebody with, um, like, quite quite serious mental health disorder it's it can be quite difficult to understand what's going on inside of them and so it was one of those plays where you got to see the inside and the outside of it so you got to see how her sister um kind of like dealt with her disorder as well and and what and how her disorder played out in the outside world as well and so plays like that, I was just like, wow, like you really understood. And then the, the half, the little half bit 
was I went to see a production of The Seagull. Now, again, The Seagull. Oh, another classic. I know, I know. But again, for most of the play, I sat there like, yeah, whatever. And I did The Seagull at drum stores. And I was like, oh, please, please, God, not The Seagull, not The Seagull. But Chiwetel Ejiofor played uh, the the boyfriend, uh, Arkadina's uh, Trigorin, Trigorin. Yeah. yeah. And um, there was just a moment right at the end when the guy shoots himself off stage, and it was the expression on that actor's face that just told you everything, and it just made me gasp because. Oh God, he just did it so well. And it's one of those things where I just won't forget that one moment of just look, seeing his, his face and his reaction um, to knowing that he had shot himself and um, his ex-partner, Arkadin, is there in the room. And so, like, and you could just see that he knew everything that was happening and what had happened as well. And so that was, yeah, that was the half. And again, that, I mean, again, I love, it, yeah, sorry, I was just about to say, sorry. That. I love that about theatre, that even when you see a play that isn't exactly your, your thing, that there is always an extraordinary moment, uh, you know, the way the lighting's done, the way an actor responds to their fellow actor or, or, or you know, all the sound design, there's always something in live theatre that, you know, just gets you more often than it doesn't. and. Um, and even when you see something that might not be your favourite play, it could hold your favourite moment. So that's, yeah, exactly. that's interesting, isn't it? That you really love that seagull when you don't, you're sort of done with classic or modern classic text, <laughs> unless it's going to be really revolutionary. Um, yeah, it's just, it, I, I really do believe if you are going to do a classic, you've got to have a reason to do it. You've got to have a reason. And, and I do, like I said, I do just think, God, there's so many amazing people out there. Writers, why, like, why are they not, why are they not being put on? Why are we not seeing their work? Um, because, I mean, that is the exciting thing about theatre is that it's a fleeting moment. So it's kind of like, can we have that moment? Can we have that fleeting love moment together now? rather than me having to connect with, you know, somebody who's long gone and whatever. It's just, yeah, that's, that is the exciting thing about theatre. So, so what's happening now? Who are we engaging with now? That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, fair, fair enough. And, and uh, my next question was going to be about, actually, now that you might be able to feed into a theatre building by joining the artistic uh, team at Stratford East. What what are you looking forward to about um, the 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 role and and the bits that um, you're you know most um, relishing getting your teeth into? I think I, uh, I I saw something interestingly enough on Twitter recently, and it was a bunch of creatives talking about longing to be part of uh, a building, and. Um, I can really understand that as a freelancer, that urge to to be a part of something bigger um, and to be a part of those creative conversations. And all I can say is, oh my God, how, it, it's just ridiculously exciting to just be in a room, to just 
talk about, um, oh, wouldn't that be a good idea? Or wouldn't this be a good idea? Or do you know what I mean? And just to talk about the creative landscape, because I think that a lot of freelancers are, are dying to do that. Is, and how I do, I do feel incredibly lucky to even just be in a building to have those bigger artistic conversations. Um, because yeah like I said I think a lot of us are like doing it down the pub or on whatsapp or on like zoom meetings with one another but it just feels like an amazing opportunity to just kind of come in and talk about those those bigger things but also to I think what does blow my mind about the kind of the constraints that are on buildings when it comes to programming and realizing how far ahead you have to think in terms of programming and um and really it may it, i find it really interesting because my god you know like sometimes you look at a season at a season you think wow they've really like hit the nail on the head like you know wow they've really hit the zeitgeist and you and now even just having like that first conversation with Stratford, you're like no nah, they just got lucky because actually they programmed this like two and a half. I object to that. <laughs> it's a long and painful process of trial and error. I think I think you're right though. I think a lot of it is is um, planning and and you know trying to get as I talk about it that perfect boy band you know uh the one that you yeah. can sing the one that can really dance the one that's got the looks you know i feel like simon cowell quite often but actually the reality is a, is there are a lot of parameters but also what's going on now and us having had our first um powwow is like um actually with the pandemic and after the pandemic our thinking um is a bit sort of we're in that halfway world of, of trying yeah. to have a plan a b c d and also not knowing when um exactly we'll be allowed to non-socially distance again so mm. this pandemic programming has got a different um temperature to it and a lot of trial and error and you know you're trying to get back into the swing of things so so it might not be atypical of the way we work but we still try and give it a breadth a breadth of of thinking um yeah but I'm it is come on you must admit it is a bit mystic meg as well it is a bit like oh oh yeah absolutely a bit of it is luck because yeah. you're not privy to how the world might suddenly change or you're not privy to, to what your other fellow colleagues have programmed in neighboring theaters or in theaters across town so you know uh, you might all hit the zeitgeist and there might be five um, plays by the same playwright but i mean that's unlikely but you know that it is a bit of um, trial and error and chance, but you try your utmost not yeah. to make it so. But, and uh, I think that is, the, that is the bit that kind of blew my mind is that there is so much you have to think about as a creative team in order to put things together, um, in order to put things together into a coherent season that is trying to say something that is not clashing with other people, that is trying to get the creative teams that you, I mean, there's just, 
there are just so many things that you have to think about to just put that season together. Um, and I found that amazing, um, daunting, but also brilliant as well. Yeah. And, I it, love and it cuts both ways uh, to what you're saying about, um, free, you know, freelance uh, artists, need, you know, wanting to be rooted in a building and feeling that sense of a, uh, of wanting to be, um, you know, the stability maybe, and also the ability to think outside of their own practice that that you get with this kind of position. And and I mean, I absolutely remember that. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that I was a freelance director, and it and and I will be again in the future. And and I, I absolutely remember that um, both on an artistic level wanting to understand uh, how buildings think and wanting that stability of practice but also um on a practical level going what is what is going on and and um which leads me to my next question of the world post pandemic and you know this might be linked to the freelance workforce it might be other stuff what do you think when when venues like ours are looking at reopening now um are there any changes you you hear of or you yourself would like to see in the post-pandemic theatre world i think i think my my biggest one would be that relationship that buildings have with freelancers i think that through the pandemic um that kind of question has really been thrown up and in terms of in terms of how buildings work with freelancers as well and of course there are those questions about pay um fair pay and all of those kind of things but i think my biggest thing is and my biggest thing to see is how buildings are going to respond to that now like we have a big report um on freelancers some of those some of those issues are really clear and so it's so i'm hoping and praying that buildings do respond to that um and not just in the short term with a long-term view of how they work with freelancers um so yeah so that's my that's my big post-pandemic thing that i'm slightly worried about but very much encouraged to be part of stratford and starting this journey as well um, but I mean, worried about in terms of the whole industry that I really hope that the buildings aren't just going to just quickly try and rush back into reopening, that they're just going to kind of slide back into the way things were before. I think this pandemic, the absolute horror that it's been, it has given us a chance to stop and think about what is actually going on in our industry. And I think it would just be just awful if we didn't respond to that in some way and we didn't allow that to change the way that we worked as well um yeah so that's really what i'd like to see absolutely and it's probably a conversation that you know has been long overdue over the past decade from when you know the arts were sort of defunded <laughs> about mm. uh, what, however many years ago 10 to 12 years ago and you know has changed pre-pandemic the way that theatres uh, function and I think it's a big 
they are some quick things that could be fixed and addressed but you're right I think personally I feel that there's some bigger questions that would mean systemic change and um, you know nobody nobody has got the magic wand to that one uh, but but we cannot what what would break my heart is what seems to be happening i can't gauge without being open how big this is but whether it's a building v freelancers or inside v outside because at the end of the day we are one industry even though it might not feel like it and it certainly feels on some levels very imbalanced and people are struggling struggling financially um and um spiritually at the moment but i just think um you know we need all of us to get back in the saddle mm. we need all of our talents and input and if, if we're losing people because people can't survive um how are we going to get back to business you know so so it's not just because it's the right thing to do <laughs> to, to address this it's it's like how are we going to have a flourishing um theater sector if we if we don't take you know both both freelancers and people who work in buildings on the journey together um yeah feeling like we're on the same team um so i think yeah i think it it's it's really is on the inside it's the topic of the day um and, mm. um on the inside and but then there are other questions that have come up um around accessibility and access and diversity through the last um 12 to 18 months you know that are all being brought to the surface and along long overdue and um we've got to we've got to really um interrogate our houses <laughs> at the same time as getting back in the into the swing of things there's, there's a lot to do that's for sure mm. i'm gonna i'm i'd like to ask you some hopefully fun uh quick fire <laughs> questions <laughs> don't think about it too much they're quick fire um from okay. your book. um if you were gonna recommend a play a favorite a play favorite play to, to maybe read what what would you say oh oh god a favorite i would definitely say a debbie tucker green i would definitely say a debbie tucker green and one of my favorite debbie tucker green plays is generations i absolutely love that play and um i love the minimal minimal i don't say the word minimalism of it and i love <laughs> the way yeah i love the way that it kind of like uh, it reduces and reduces until you realise that you're losing an entire generation of people, and it's yeah, it's an it is an incredible, an incredible play. She I would love is to, for sure a master craftsman, or should I say, craftswoman? Um, mm. An album that you would? Ooh. Ooh, oh, oh my god! god. So, but just today. So Definitely my, my teenage album is The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Oh my God, I love that album. Definitely. And I love those songs as well. And yeah, I just feel like they're timeless as well. Um, yeah, it's an incredible, everybody go out and listen to it. It's an incredible it's album. Great. It's great storytelling and her voice is to die for in that, mm -hmm. Lauren Hill's voice. Film. Uh, so recently, my huge recommendation is Parasite. 
Oh my god! I love such, it. It is such a brilliant film. It's it is such a so brilliant good. film. I think and it's I, and, be on Prime now if people have Amazon Prime. But I yeah, love and it. I I love it. I just I just loved it because it it was it was hilarious, but at the same time you had that layer of uh, real world issues in there as well, and it opened me up. To a world in South Korea that I didn't know anything about um but yeah it was just just incredible just incredible and great storytelling and and <laughs> you know that's the thing that's my favorite kind of model of making work where you make tell a person what seems like a very personal and detailed and unique story but actually what you're doing is talking about a big political issue yeah and yes. it was just Stunning, I've got to say. TV show. Uh, okay, so Succession. Oh my God, I just, I love Succession because uh, everybody can understand that screwed up family. <laughs> Even if they're like... Even if they've got loads of money. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, nice to know that... Succession, <laughs> you hate everybody, but... But the actors are so darn good. Oh god, this. yeah, they're so you good. Just you do still care about them, despite yeah, their... I, they're, they're so screwed up. But it made me laugh because I just watched them and I thought, wow, your family's just as screwed up as my family, but you've just got more money. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Uh, can't wait for the next series. And finally, a book recommendation. Oh god. To be honest, I read. I read many more plays than I do books. Um, God, but what is the... And at the moment, I'm reading a lot of books about directing for film uh, because I can't afford to go to film school. And so I'm just like, I'm going to read every book about directing for film and I'm going to watch every movie that I possibly can. So, yeah, so in terms of novels, not uh, there was a time in my life when I used to read a lot of novels, all kind of one after the other. But I'm more focused on practice, 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 and craft at the moment. To be honest, cool. That's fair enough. So thank you so much, Mina, for spending this time with us and uh, for us getting to know you. Uh, certainly, from my point of view, I can't wait to have you in the building because, as you said, you're interested as a freelance artist to come and work within uh you know the the family of a building but we too are energized motivated and um you know provoked in a really good way when you come to us so i'm really looking forward to both you and tabby uh you know really um having the conversations and you know just having new people uh, always is is fun and and makes things alive again you know because we get used to each other just like new new folk to join so thank you so much for your time and welcome and see you soon see you soon Thank you to Nadia and Mina for that interview. In our next episode, we'll be talking to our second artistic associate, Tabby Lamb. So tune in next time. Thanks for listening.